Welcome in, y'all, and we've got you covered tonight. Five interviews, Jeff, so we're not going to spend much time here. We'll let you get right into the interviews. We'll give you uh, a look ahead of what these interviews contain and what we cover. But I'm excited about uh, tonight's episode. I think these are really good interviews and will co cover a lot of ground. Batting first in the lineup, Patrick McGee. Yeah, Patrick's going to come on. He's going to talk Southern Miss. We're going to you know, get into that and go a little deep in the Southern Miss, what they got to look forward to. And we're also going to touch on the high school side. Uh, he mentions it in his interview. We'll talk about it too. A one-man show down there for Patrick at the Sun-Herald, but uh, does a great job. And we'll, we'll touch a little uh, USM and high school action with Patrick. Yep, batting second in the lineup. Ben Ryder, Ben Ryder, a guy that I was uh, super excited to get. Uh, Jeff, he is a best-selling author of Astro Ball, The New Way to Win It All. It was a New York Times bestseller, and he also currently writes for the Sports Illustrated. That's where he kind of – you'll hear it in the interview. I was excited to get him because I've actually listened uh, to that book twice on audio tape, and so I feel like old, I know old Ben, and we were uh, privileged to get him on the podcast, he was batting second in the order. And then a good get for our third interview as well, uh, Jack Wright, the head coach for the Mississippi Gulf Coast Bulldogs, ranked number one in the nation. Yep, and he's going to get into his ball club, uh, talk about an upcoming game this week, an exciting time here in Pervert County, kind of a rivalry game between Pervert Community College and Gulf Coast. He'll talk about that. Plus, he'll talk about two local kids uh, that are really filling out his backfield uh, for the Mississippi Gulf Coast Bulldogs. And speaking of backfield, batting cleanup for us, Jay Beach and that wing tee offense with a loaded uh, backfield. And it's Purvis week as Popperville 2-0 goes to a 2-0 uh, Purvis team. And, uh, of course, Coach Beach, as we follow Popperville each and every Friday night, we were excited to get uh, Coach Beach and to hear from him. And he bats fourth in the order. Batting fifth, Zoe Breeland, Lorenzo Breeland, the defensive line coach for the undefeated Picayune Maroon Tide. Yeah, we're going to talk to – uh, talked to Coach Breeland about his ball club. He, he mentions the kids on the defensive line, talks about their attributes, uh, talks about some nicknames he kind of gives them uh, as, as that defensive front, but then talk about how uh, much of a ball club it takes both offensively and defensively to be set in 7-0 and and 3-0 and in the district. Yeah, it was a cool time with uh, Coach Breeland. Certainly enjoyed our visit, and we hope that you enjoy this episode of the Talking Ball Y'all podcast. We appreciate you listening each and every week. Whether you're hungry for seafood, po'boys, or salads, go see Kelly's Po'boys located in Picayune and proudly serving Pearl River County for nearly 20 years. It's a little bit of New Orleans right here in Picayune. Joining us tonight is Patrick McGee from down at the Sun-Herald. We appreciate uh, you joining us tonight, Patrick. Sure, thanks for having me. Patrick, let's jump into some Southern Miss, and we'll probably end up on the high school side. Uh, but Southern Miss coming off a big win over North Texas last week and then a big ball game looming this week. Um, you've done a great job of really giving us in-depth coverage on Southern Miss. What do you expect to see out of the Golden Eagles um, coming into this Saturday, a big matchup this Saturday afternoon? Well, I appreciate it, but uh, I think we're going to see more of the same uh, Southern Miss offensively. Uh, uh, they've just really been good against Troy and, and North Texas. Took a, just a small step back against UTEP. It was just one of the ball games. I think Southern Miss offensively is really ready to kind of take Conference USA by storm. 
Uh, now, Tech will probably probably be a little bit better defensively than, say, North Texas was a week ago, but uh, I, I just don't see how really Tech can hang with Southern Miss. It, Southern Miss has done a really good job of limiting the list of Louisiana Tech ground game. I think they've held them under an average of uh, 60 yards rushing per game in this current win streak that Southern Miss has against the Bulldogs. So, uh, Southern Miss seems to have Tech's number, um, but anytime you go to, all the way to Ruston, it's going to be a, a tough road trip. And takes a good team with a veteran quarterback of its own. So nothing could be taken for granted. But uh, if Southern Miss can kind of build on what they did against North Texas, I think Southern Miss is in good shape. You talk about what they did to North Texas and Abraham and then these group uh, of wide receiver and then uh, Harris sneaking in now to the backfield. That's an explosive offense, isn't it, Patrick? Yeah, it's uh, an extremely nice uh, – yeah, I just talked to Jack Abraham uh, earlier, and we were talking about just how fast they are as an offense when factoring into Michael Harris out of the backfield at tailback. And then you have, you know, Quez Watkins, Jalen Adams, and Jordan Mitchell missed that first at that last game, but he's kind of a big possession guy that can catch the deep ball. And then you factor in Tim Jones, who's tough over the middle as a slot guy, and uh, and, but it really comes back to the play of the offensive line and how they've done so much, a much better job of protecting Jack this season. Uh, they gave up no sacks to uh, uh, North Texas on Saturday, and uh, they're starting to get a little bit better in the ground game as time goes on. Uh, and that's scary for the rest of the conference. I think uh, FAU is a pretty good offensive team, but uh, right now you have to respect Southern Miss is probably the best offensive team and in Conference USA, and a lot of that just comes back to the speed they have at the receiver position and just overall talent on offense. I mean, Jay Hobson is a defensive guy, uh, but he's accumulated a fair amount of offensive talent. Patrick, when you look at uh, the way that offense is operated, you actually led me into my next question. A new offensive coordinator this year with Coach Faulkner and a new offensive line coach as well. Is that offensive line mm-hmm. play uh, been the biggest difference maybe that you've seen uh, from that offensive staff from a year ago to this year? Yeah, I mean, it was a, basically all the same skill uh, players that they have this season. Uh, you know, they're a year older, a year better, but – it is the play of the offensive line, and, and Jack Abraham consistently uh, faced uh, a, a pass rush all last season. I mean, you look back to that Louisiana Monroe game they lost in Hattiesburg; uh, he was sacked five times, and it, it, it's just it's just night and day this year. I mean, it's, it, it gives the ground game a little bit of room to work with and and protect Jack Abraham. That's this is what you're going to get. They've got so much talent to the receiver position that. Uh, Jack Abraham is just going to light folks up as long as he gets time to throw the ball. So, yeah, the offensive line, uh, Ryan Stanchek, uh, they did a good job of kind of filling gaps here and there with uh, Coker Wright and a couple of the two co-signees. Kalik Washington's played well at right tackle. So, And Drake Dorbeck is much improved there at left tackle. Really, you see a lot of the returnees are just in better shape and playing better, and you've added some other guys to the mix that give them much more depth and quality. Once again, we're joined by Patrick McGee. Uh, here on the Pit Lane Oil Change hotline from the Sun Herald and Patrick, uh, you 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 they go on the road uh, to Ruston and face Louisiana Tech, but then they have Rice on the road, and then they you know UAB, uh, San Antonio, Western Kentucky, and Florida. Is is it possible with the team that this uh, the, the Golden Eagles have offensively and defensively to run the table and be 
in that Conference USA, uh, I guess they're in the West uh, for the Conference USA spot? Uh, or, or do you see one of the, the opponents coming up that might uh, play a hindrance, one of their toughest opponents coming up? <clears throat> well, I mean, I think Southern Miss has got a, a great shot to win each game. I mean, going into each game, they'll have a good shot to win. But we all know the odds are against that. Uh, something's probably going to happen. There's going to be a game they have a hiccup. Uh, that regular season finale at FAU is going to be a tough one. It's a long trip uh, against an FAU team that's improved over a year ago. I think FAU will win that division. Uh, but if you look, it's really the, the two best teams in the East Division are the final two games of the season for Southern Miss. Uh, so, yeah, Southern Miss may go in those final two games that eat not only uh, in good shape to win the West Division, but if they win those two games, uh, they're in, in good position to host a conference title game. So it's set up the, the, the conference play is, is not an easy one for Southern Miss, but it's set up for Southern Miss to do well, I think. Uh, they've got a bye week in there that will kind of help them out. Western Kentucky comes to town. Uh, UAB comes to town. UAB has really had Southern Miss's number. I think Southern Miss is a better team than UAB this year. Uh, UAB have five, has five wins, but it's a really soft five at one practice. So <clears throat> I think Southern Miss is a good state to uh, 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 really, really be in the hunt for this USA West title going into the final last week or two. And if you beat Louisiana Tech, that's kind of a jumping off point. Uh, the only, but the only, but the way you have to look at it, to me, the only really uh, uh, guaranteed W is the game at San Antonio. Uh, but that Rice game, who is winless, Southern Miss cannot take Rice uh, for granted at all. They have to go out there and play well. There's no week where Southern Miss can tell really kind of, you know, just kind of sleep, sleepwalk to a W. Uh, but Southern Miss is in a good position to uh, win each of its games. But as we all know, it's just it's tough to do that. And you're, you talked to it sounds like earlier in the evening uh, to the signal caller and the numbers that Abraham has put up so far this year, Patrick, put him in some uh, pretty good um, company, so to speak, nationwide. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, he's uh, 420 yards. He's got a lot of national uh, recognition. I think people are kind of are starting to catch on to how good Jack Abraham is. Uh, you know, and people have kind of asked me, how would you compare him to, say, a Nick Mullins? And I think you can make an argument that actually Abraham is more consistent and a little bit more refined uh, than Nick was through his first, you know, two to three years at Southern Miss. Uh, Abraham had the benefit of a red shirt, and uh, he's just, you know, he was in a pretty advanced system in Oxford, and it's really translated well to the college level, really got him ready. <clears throat> but Abraham, if you go back through even the games where, say, Southern is struggling offense, he's hit his targets. It's just, he, you know, he, it was a matter of whether or not he had the time to uh, look downfield and find his guys downfield. So Abraham is, is as accurate a passer I've ever seen at Southern Miss. And uh, just week by week, he, he impresses. I mean, it's it's hard to see him getting better, but, I mean, he just seems to – uh, find ways to kind of step it up. We all go back to that Troy game. That's as well as I've ever seen a quarterback throw football in person, completing the first 17 passes of the game, uh, then turn around and does what he gets, uh, does what he does against a, a really good North Texas team. So I think Jack Abraham is 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 on his way to a 4,000 yard season, and and he's you know he's gonna he, he's got folks' attention. If he keeps this up, he's going to be a uh, I think maybe uh, potentially an MVP type player in Conference USA. Yeah, very, uh, very interesting. Look forward to uh, reading the article that I know you're going to put together off of uh, your time spent with him earlier this evening. Let's switch gears a little bit, Patrick, and 
and eventually we'll uh, shift gears all the way down to high school football. But I saw on mm. uh, Twitter, and I haven't had a chance to look at it yet, but a deep dive with Coach Ladner and a basketball program. Kind of uh, give us the highlights and then make us go uh, read the article or, or see what's out there. But um, your visit yeah. with Coach Ladner and, and getting ready for basketball season. Yeah, they held a media day on Monday, and I was up there for that. Coach Ladner really kind of went in depth over basically the whole roster and how he sees things kind of playing out. He talked for a good 40 minutes. Uh, you know, you have the two start. You only have two starters coming back to Southern Miss, but they've trained to Leonard Harper Baker. So you've got, you're going to have a lot of inexperience and and uh, first year guys uh, pitching in. Yeah, I guess the one thing you kind of know about Southern Miss is just, uh, look, just looking at the schedule, how tough it's going to be for them with Gonzaga, uh, Iowa State, uh, Texas Tech, and in that little battle for Atlantis, they could play, you know, they may play Oregon one day, then North Carolina the next. Right. I mean, it's just early in the in the season. It's going to be tough for Southern Miss, but uh, anytime you can kind of build around a player like a drain, uh, you, you got something to work with. So uh, just kind of going down the roster is, is what I do and just look at everybody that may be contributing and, and the new guys that can be starting, even the guy all the way over from the Baltics uh, mm-hmm. is looking like he may have a big role to play for Southern Miss. So, yeah, it's 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 interesting because there's a lot of new pieces. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see if maybe these newcomers can make an impact. Uh, but Ladner admits the early going is, is just going to be as about as tough as it's ever been for a Southern Miss basketball team. And, Patrick, excuse me for the timeline dated here, but did you cover Coach Ladner when he was still at Stanislaus? I'm trying to think on the overlap there. Uh, was that your time yeah. here? He may have been uh, there for a year or so whenever I first got. I was I was basically covering East Jackson County at that point, so I didn't cover much of Stanislaus. But he, he left not long after I got down here, so I never got to know Jay that well. But I would see him at high school games as the Southeastern coach and the JCJC coach recruiting this area. So, I, I mean, I know Jay, but I didn't have much experience covering him at the high school level. You brought up JCJC, and hopefully in about 30 minutes we're going to get a chance to visit with Coach Wright. But can you kind of speak to what they've been able to do, uh, Patrick, down at Mississippi Gulf Coast, now ranked number one in the nation? Yeah, you know, it, it's, a, it's a different animal at Gulf Coast than it was in the past. Uh, whenever, you know, Gulf Coast was so good in the uh, previously, it was the result of the, the Alabamas and some of these other programs kind of sending players down there, transfers. But uh, this Gulf Coast program really isn't lo- you know, loaded with guys that say transfer from Georgia. Uh, this is really a team that's kind of been well-developed by uh, Coach Wright and staff see what Austin Bolton has done. A lot of guys they brought up from the high school level directly are, have come in and, and really gotten better with time. So uh, they're building a program kind of the old-fashioned way, and it's kind of uh, refreshing to see a, a program like that kind of uh, built on local guys and Mississippi guys. So uh, Jack Wright and company have done a good job there. Once again, we're visiting with Patrick McGee from the Sun-Herald on the Pit Lane Oil Change Hotline. And, and Patrick, yeah, it goes right into the high school action. You were talking about local guys. You mentioned Austin Bolton right there at Gulf Coast. Well, right here in Perlover County, uh, you know, Clay and I have a chance of uh, covering Poplarville Hornets each and every week. But where we're based at, we both live in Picayune. Uh, Coach Dodd Lee in this Picayune Maroon Tide 
uh, club, 7-0 and overall, 3-0 and in the district, looks virtually untouchable so far here in this football season. Yeah, I mean, I may as well just stop doing a, a Sun Herald top five poll the rest of the season. <laughs> just go ahead and just, just give it to them and say that, you look, you're number one the rest of the way. Why am I even bothering with this? So, yeah, I mean, Picayune is, is a juggernaut. Uh, nobody's going to beat them in that region. Uh, they've already beaten the two best 6A teams down here in Iberville and go for it and say it was uh, no joke they really put it on them uh, I think Gulfport uh, was the only team that kind of exposed them to a degree if you have a good quarterback that can throw the ball uh, you can score on them but it's just so tough to hang with picking uh, when they run the ball as well as they do with Cameron Thomas he's really uh, fun to watch and he's really a perfect running back for that system uh, he's not the biggest guy so he can kind of get lost behind that line and but he's tough and and really Great moves and good speed. He's really fun to watch. I'd like to see him kind of go into a JUCO system and, and be given a chance to maybe develop a little bit more physically if he can get up to 175, 180 pounds. I don't see why he can't play uh, college football at a fairly high level. I really like the way he runs with the football. Uh, but, yeah, Picayune is, is really, really good. Uh, they're far and away the best team on the coast, and uh, it's good for Dobby kind of closing out in this final year to, to have a special team. Patrick, when you look at the team, uh, Jeff brings up Picayune, other uh, two teams in our county, Pearl River Central, I think is going to make a strong playoff push out of that district. And then closest, uh, uh, heart-wise to us, a team we cover every Friday night, uh, the Popperville Hornets, off to a slow start uh, due to uh, a, a schedule that was pretty tough. Uh, what do you look at right. and see out of those two teams kind of close to us here in the Pearl River Central Blue Devils and then the Popperville Hornets? Well, PRC, I, I think that they've kind of here early in region play, they've uh, got a period where they can kind of build up some momentum with some wins, uh, playing teams like Long Beach. And, and, and those are those are teams that PRC can beat. They're, and they've got a really kind of established ground game. And I expected that region to be really, really deep this year, but it, it just hasn't panned out. You basically got Picking and everybody else. It looks like Wayne County that maybe has got that two seed, and East Central may slide in as the three seed. You know, that East Central PRC game is setting up to be pretty interesting. So uh, it's really picking in Wayne County, and then you have I think East Central and PRC kind of battling out for the uh, the three seed. Even though I think East Central is in pretty good shape to 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 win that. Uh, but yeah, Poplarville, uh, you knew it was only a matter of time before you got in the region play that they would get things going in the right direction. I know they had some injuries early in the year and uh, the defensively, I think is what's kind of made a difference for them here lately uh, to shut out FDHS and turn around and really limit a, a stone County team that can be uh, pretty tough. You know, John Feaster does a good job with that group and uh, they're capable of being teams like Hancock. So I think Poplarville, it, it was, everybody knew once region play started, they would be, uh, they're, they're not as dominant as they have been, but, they're still a good team, and they'll they'll definitely be in contention for a recent title. Patrick, man, we certainly appreciate you taking time for the podcast. I want to say as a Southern Miss follower, uh, I appreciate the way that the Sun-Herald has uh, picked up and delivered some really good coverage of the Golden Eagles over the uh, – I'm not going to date it with a time period, but certainly recently y'all and you in particular have done a phenomenal job of – covering the Golden Eagles. So uh, we appreciate uh, your coverage. I know that uh, I mentioned it uh, prior to going on the air, but a one-man show uh, for the Sun-Hair when it comes to sports most all the time and uh, for the 
ground you cover, man, you do a pretty good job, and we certainly appreciate it, Patrick. I, I certainly appreciate. I wish I could uh, cover all the ground when you got six counties, but I do the best I can, and, and I appreciate I appreciate your kind words, and I'm just going to keep plugging. And uh, it's football season, so it's, everything's all about football these days. So uh, hopefully, we'll have a strong close in both the high school and at Southern Miss, and give me some good stuff to write. Well, thank you, Patrick. All right, y'all have a good one. Your family's health is our mission. At Highland Community Hospital and in partnership with Forest Health Systems, we're reshaping the mammography experience. We are the only facility in the region offering a 3D mammogram with the lowest patient dose of radiation, all with increased comfort and confidence. Our goal is quality care for you and your family through the compassionate application of advanced medicine. Highland Community Hospital, the best choice for your family. We're fortunate enough tonight to be joined by Astro Ball author Ben Ryder. Ben, thank you so much for taking time for the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. Ben, if you would, just kind of give our listeners a um, a review on the book that's now been out a little while. The paperback um, is out now, but it's a best-selling, uh, New York Times best-selling uh, book. Just give our, our listeners a brief uh, review of, of what the book was and how it came about. Sure. Well, the book's called Astro Ball, and its origins really came in 2014 when I went down to Houston to write a story for Sports Illustrated about the worst baseball team in half a century, the Houston Astros. Now, while I was down there, I was glad to bed with the team for several days. I came away thinking that this team had a plan and it was a new plan. It was one that pushed way beyond Moneyball, uh, wrote a 5,000-word story about their plan that uh, was attached to a famous cover predicting that this terrible team would win the World Series just three and a half years later in 2017. People were very skeptical at the time. Of course, that actually happened. And once it happened, I decided to write Astroball, not so much about the prediction although I mentioned it a little bit, but more about everything they did to make that prediction come true uh, and to become what was really looking like a burgeoning dynasty in Major League Baseball. You mentioned the word dynasty, Ben. As we record, um, the Houston Astros, of course, in Game 3 against the New York Yankees this afternoon. And, and so since this publication, and as you did predict, uh, they won the World Series and have gone on uh, a three-year streak. I think it's only been done six times in baseball history that a team has won 100 wins uh, three years in a row. So you were right on the money with a lot of things that we're telling in the article and certainly in the book. How neat has it been to kind of watch what the Astros have done since that article and certainly since the book? I mean, it's been pretty fantastic to watch. I don't think even I could have expected back then, their turnaround to be as significant as it did. You know, I mentioned they were the worst team in 50 years. So back in between 2011-2013, they had the most losses over a three-year stretch of any club since the expansion New York Mets half a century earlier. The last three years, 2017 to 2019, they've had the most combined wins for any team in 50 years. Just an incredibly remarkable turnaround it really doesn't get more stark 
than that. Uh, I think that that stat does a lot about where they began and where they are now. Ben, when you look at your book um, compared to maybe the predecessor or uh, the book before that that was made famous by by the great work in the book, but then also the movie and Moneyball, can you describe the difference with, uh, between what the Astros um, did and then what um, the Athletics did and what was referenced in Moneyball? Sure, absolutely. Well, Moneyball is an incredibly important book, not just in the canon of sports literature, but for the game itself. A lot of the people I write about in Astroball who joined the Astros front office were inspired to see work in baseball because they'd read Moneyball, right? Including uh, Jeff Luno, the GM, Big Mike Dell, who is uh, his former chief analyst. Both of them are main characters in the book. But Moneyball came out in 2003, and there's been a lot of progress, a lot of high-level thinking within the industry since then. Uh, Moneyball is really about, at its heart, how Billy Bean and the Oakland A's were able to identify and leverage performance statistics that had been overlooked by other teams, you know, to draft better players, to sign better free agents, you know, insights like OBP on base percentage is better than batting average. College players are easier to predict going forward, things like that. Those concepts have been pretty baked in to most front offices uh, within a decade, the decade to follow. The Astros' key insight was that a, a recently overlooked source of predictive power, human beings actually had value. Like, yes, human observation was flawed, you know, humans were subject to cognitive biases, things like that, but the expertise of a longtime scout, of a good baseball man, still had value, and they figured out how to integrate that with analytics that were far more advanced than anything the A's were doing back in 2003 to really get the best out of both man and machine. So if I had to sum it up, it was really putting some value back on, uh, on human beings and their powers to predict the future and to have expertise. Ben, my master's degree is in human capital development, and so huh. I, lo I love baseball, but this book, I think uh, for business uh, folks, you can learn a lot uh, from this book as well. Has that been studied other than a casual baseball fan or even deeper baseball fan? Have you seen organizational uh, kind of take a look at this approach? You know, I've actually heard a lot since the book came out that it's developed something of a following, particularly in the finance and investing world. And a lot of businesses, and a lot of other types of businesses as well, but particularly in finance and investing. And what I'm hearing is that uh, people in that world started running the same problem that people in baseball did, was that you could only push kind of simple performance data so far and analyze so far the advantage was minimizing uh, as other rivals kind of caught up. So they're really looking for the next great area in which you could find an advantage again. And many people in that world think that the type of thing the Astros did uh, was perhaps one model for it. Once again, we're visiting with author and writer for Sports Illustrated, Ben Ryder. And Ben, when you look at um, the success that the Astros have had, 
certainly have to talk about that pitching staff, and I thought it was a, a wonderful piece that you did for Sports Illustrated uh, lately on describing exactly how uh, they picked up Grinky and the way that he came at the trade deadline. Kind of speak to that piece for those ha- that haven't read it and how that um, maybe the conflict of going to get a big gun at the trade deadline at when you evaluate talent and then have to give up some of this talent that you evaluate and, and hold so dearly. Right. Well, one of the Astros' great strengths all along has been their focus on press process over short-term outcome and not over overly reacting to immediate situations because they have because they have longer-term goals in mind. Now, part of that has meant that Jeff Luno has but great, great value on his elite prospects. Um, guys who they drafted, they developed, who would presumably be a key member of their organization for six years at minimum once they reach the big leagues. This would be guys like Alex Bregman, who everybody wanted to trade for. Trade for. He never would. Uh, now, currently, it's guys like Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker and the pitcher for us. Certainly, he simply will not trade these guys. Now, he got to a situation at the trade deadline, whereby it was pretty clear he needed another starting pitcher. Obviously, Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole, two of the best pitchers in the league. Wade Miley at the time was looking like a more than credible number three, but he knew he needed a starter. The problem was he was not going to trade one of those superstar prospects for one. So he kind of sat there, watched Trevor Bauer get traded, watched Marcus Stroman get traded. Uh, Finally, at the very last moment, was able to trade four of his kind of second-tier prospects. And he didn't really want to do it. It took some but some urging from the owner of the team, Jim Crane. But finally, thanks to his patience, was able to trade four second-tier prospects for the most talented player flat-out to be dealt at the trade deadline, Zach Frankie. Now, if you want to check out Sports Illustrated, this last week's cover story, uh, there's a lot more details on how that all came to be. But that's the broad stroke yeah, absolutely, and a really good read there. Um, listening to the auto audio book, which I've done twice, I feel like uh, you, you've uh, part of the family. As that's a, we spent a lot of time <laughs> together, you reading to me <laughs> at night. But I feel like I know Luna and Sig, and it's it's almost after you've read the book or are listening to the book in this case that you could kind of see their mindset and their struggle as uh, the trade deadline approached. So that was a a uh, pretty neat going into that. Ben, yeah, I ha- well, first of all, I'm, I'm sorry I had to listen to you for 14 hours, but I do appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, an, inter- an interesting wrinkle here was that a lot of the people who had been with Luno for years and years and years, even back when he was in St. Louis, um, are not there anymore. You know, Sig Dell is now the assistant GM of the Orioles under the GM, Mike Elias, who was Luno's former assistant general manager. That's kind of what happened. When you have all the success, a lot of other teams want want the guys who helped you get there. Uh, but still, the process is so strong. The like the principles by which they operate are so strong. They're still able to not just kind of tread water, but continue to make progress and continue to pull out these huge trades. And Ben, I think I'd be silly not to ask you which organization or which team, and I'm not asking you to make and to hit on all the prediction, but what's the next wave of this? Who do you see being able to kind of duplicate this or mimic what the Astros have done? 
Right, well, it's a lot harder now, actually, when the Astros are there. So many teams are kind of trying to do the same thing. If you look at the league at any one time, about a third of the teams are in some level of significant rebuild. But people have asked me this a few times. You know, which team out there has maybe not had success so far but could break out all of a sudden talent gas is it 2015? For me, it's certainly uh, the San Diego Padres. Now, I thought they'd be better than they were this year, 70 and 92. It's certainly a disappointment in the season after they signed Manny Machado, in which they had a rookie of the year contender, Fernando Tatis Jr., come up. But you look at the wealth of prospects they have in that farm system, combined with some solid veterans like Machado and Eric Hosmer, I think this is a team that can make a great leap forward as early as next year. Ben, if our listeners want to find a now the paperback uh, version with a with a new cover, where can they find the book? And certainly, how can they keep up with you and your work uh, currently with Sports Illustrated? Well, thanks for asking. You can certainly buy it uh, pretty much wherever books are sold. Your favorite uh, online retailers. I mean, if you're looking for a signed copy signed by me, you can buy that via the website of Strand Bookstore in New York City. Uh, as for my other work, uh, you know, check out sportsillustratedsi.com. Ben, thank you so much once again for taking time for our podcast, and I certainly appreciate your work, and it was a kick to get you on the show tonight. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. Are you looking for a place for your whole family to belong? Come and join us at Goodyear Baptist Church. We're located at 2710 Highway 43 South, just past Memorial Gardens. We have great ministries for all ages. If you're looking for something refreshing in life, if you're looking for a hope that lasts forever, if you want to experience the love of Christ, come check out GBC. Sunday morning growth group at 9.45 a.m. and worship at 11. Find us online at GoodyearBaptistChurch.com. Come as you are. There's a place for you. Come grow with us. Whether you've hit a home run or a foul ball, for all your real estate law and closing needs, call Cruise Law at 1-769-242-2500. That number again is 1-769-242-2500. Call Bill Cruz at Cruise Law. We're privileged enough tonight to be joined by head coach down at Mississippi Gulf Coast, Jack Wright, the number one ranked community college team in the nation. Coach Wright, thanks for taking time for the podcast. Thanks for having me. Coach, um, it's, we call it down in our neck of the woods. We're recording out of picking. We call it Perk Week. I'm not sure what it's called over that way, but a rival ball game. Uh, is it easier to get your team uh, focused for this one coming on uh, Thursday night? Yeah, I think it is. Um, I think there's a lot of relationships between, you know, people that work at the school. Uh, a lot of our kids played against people from that area. You know, kids a lot of times had a choice to pick between Pearl River and Gulf Coast. So there's a lot of, a lot of crossover when it comes to community and relationships. Coach, how neat is it when you look at the rankings to be ranked uh, number one uh, in the country or as a coach? Is that something that uh, just becomes more of a challenge? Uh just to be honest with you, it's not something that we spend a ton of time thinking about during the week. I mean, we, when we started moving up the rankings about four or five weeks ago, um, I think our team just kind of decided that we were just going to focus on the next game. And 
And uh, I think it's fun for those guys to talk about when they go home and they see their teammates. Maybe they run into somebody that, that plays at another JUCO. I think that is something that's great to talk about and helps our program. Uh, but as far as you know, Sunday through Wednesday, getting ready for, for Thursday night, it's just not something you think about a lot. And I think that sounds cliche, but I'm proud of this team for taking that approach. Absolutely. And, and Coach Wright, when you look at when you took this job back in December of 2017, has the blueprint that you kind of had in your mind or had uh, laid out even when you interviewed, when you kind of laid out your vision, uh, has it all kind of worked out like you planned for it to work out? Uh, it's been it's been pretty a pleasant experience. Um, you know, Gulf Coast uh, is really proud of all the athletics, not just football. So having resources like facilities and, and, and great uh, access to great coaches and the ability to get out and recruit, you know, all areas uh, and being able to find the best players, that was already here when I got here. So you got to really credit the leadership here at the school for, for putting some things in uh, priority. And um, But then we've got a great place. I mean, recruiting year um, has been, has been a, a great experience. When we bring kids on campus, we have a lot to show them. We have a lot to offer. And so uh, I think once you know families see that and see uh, see what they're going to get, if they commit to us, then um, hopefully that makes it an easy decision. But but the blueprint never goes according to plan. I mean, there's going to be adversity. There's going to be highs and lows to every season. Uh, there's going to be every kid that you recruit is a different story. Um, so I mean, you just have to kind of grind through all that. Yeah, we were we were had the good fortune of calling a football game over there uh, last. Friday night covering Popperville and being able to utilize the press box and uh, kind of uh, wandering around and looking probably places we weren't supposed to look, but that's a mighty fine facility y'all have over there. And you speak uh, about recruiting. Coach, you've won a national championship in this league. How much has this league changed? I know you've been in this league in and out and familiar with it, uh, with districts and now without districts. How much has this league changed over the last 10 or 15 years, Coach? Well, you can't have any conversation uh, about Mississippi Juco in the last 10 years without without talking about East Mississippi. You know, they have definitely uh, changed the landscape of the league. They, they you know, talk about a blueprint towards winning. Uh, I mean, they've, they've demonstrated that um, they kind of know what that path is. And so I think what you've had is a few teams that are, are trying to, you know, catch up to that. Um, and there's no really easy way to do that other than just to work really hard and uh, and try to recruit and, and outwork and help prepare, you know, a program like that. They've won five national titles mm. in the last eight years, nine years, I think it is. And so, you know, really that's what you kind of look at and say, you know, that that's the goal that we're chasing. And so um, – they have changed the landscape of the league. You know, you're going to try, you know, to compete with that or uh, or you're not. And so um, some of the schools, I think, have really, you know, tried to compete with that and, and, and make that their goal to put their football program on that level. Coach, you talked about uh, this week, and I can remember covering Pearl River Community College uh, years ago in the state championships and national championships really used to run through uh, this rivalry with Coach Hatton at Pearl River and, of course, Coach Campbell there at Gulf Coast. The history of this rivalry has been some pretty special football play. There's no question. When all that was going on, I was fortunate to be an assistant coach at Northwest Community College. 
and um, had always heard about the rivalry between Pearl River and Gulf Coast. And, you know, a lot of times we would play one of those teams in the playoffs. It seems, seems like we would always meet in the playoffs. Where we, you would get the film in from the Pearl River Gulf Coast game. And I just remember the, the crowds, you know, mm-hmm. just wouldn't fit in whatever whatever bleachers were there. It was just spilling out all over the track and around the, around the sidelines. And I just said, man, that's an impressive environment, you know. And then you come down last year um, and you could just feel the intensity. You know, I really my approach last year as a first year coaching this rivalry was to just kind of take it as, as any other game and you know try to prepare the kids the best we can. But there was a different level of energy. There was a different level of almost animosity, I would say, between the two programs. Uh, and I, I, I view that as a positive way, uh, but it, it's definitely different than anything I've been associated. Yeah, I think that's the most fun I ever had covering a football game, and it it came in a loss in the team I was covering for Pearl River Community College and uh, was over at Gulf Coast, and I think Jimmy Oliver threw the ball maybe 70 times that night in a losing effort, and uh, (laughs) Pearl River later in that year won a state championship, kind of redeemed that loss, but uh, that was a lot of fun. They uh, broke Pearl River's long uh, winning streak, and just a lot of fun in this one, and so that's a, you've already gotten it. I mean, you're already you're already there, but that's a special rivalry and a special ball game that will take place on Thursday night. And I know that won't be lost on two youngins that will be in your backfield: Sean Anderson uh, from Picune and Austin Bolton uh, from Popperville. Two guys right here in the county going to compete against Pearl River Community College. Talk about those backs, coaches. We're located here in Pearl River Co- County, recording. Um, you know, Alston has been a very solid performer for us uh, since he's been here. He is a part of a system that really just does not share the belief that you just have one running back. Um, we have two or three, and you mentioned Sean as well, but um, Alston's a great running back. If he were a part of a system that allowed him to consistently get 20 to 25 carries per night, there's no question in my mind he would be leading the state in rushing or would be, you know, near the top of the list. He's leading the state in rushing touchdowns. Um, and that is splitting carries with other really good running backs. Um, but he had a big night Thursday night, probably his career night at East Central with a big, a big game versus a ranked opponent versus a good defense. Some really tall, strong, tough runs. He always seems to get extra yardage. He's really, really good at short yardage of just being able to kind of twist and turn his body and get the ball past the sticks for first downs or even touchdowns. Um, Sean is a dynamite athlete. Um, when he got here, we didn't know exactly what he was. He was a little bit smaller. We knew he had a ton of carries and a ton of yards at Picayune. And so when he got here, we, we placed him out in the slot. And, um, you know, didn't get quite as many touches probably as he deserved. You know, being out there sometimes that tough, that's tough. Tougher when you're out the slot to get the ball. This year he's been more of a presence in the backfield. He's touched the ball a lot more. And, uh, boy, he's got some dynamite plays on his highlight tape. I mean, just some open field stuff that just makes you go, wow. As a matter of fact, the longest run of the year in 2018 uh, came when he ran a reverse for us and made three or four guys miss out of space. So he's a dynamite athlete. Both of those guys bring some electricity. They bring some things you can't coach to the table. Coach, if you would, uh, for the X's and O's nerds out there, you've been able to run the ball 
wherever you've been and you've been able to turn programs away around wherever you've been, kind of tell our listeners if they haven't seen uh, Mississippi Gulf Coast play, what what is the key to this rushing attack? What are y'all running the ball out of? What do y'all look like, Coach, to put up the rushing numbers that, that you've put put up wherever you've been? What's your run philosophy, Coach? Um, I think it would be don't try to reinvent the wheel. Um, you know, we're going to run inside zone, outside zone. It's a gap scheme. And that's really what it's going to come down to. And those are plays that have been run in college and NFL for the last 50 years. Um, what we try to do is we put a premium on execution and we put a premium on being physical. And I think you have to mention the fact that I think us as a coaching staff here, we also put a premium on having everybody involved all five skill spots, we want them to touch the ball. Obviously, the running back is going to get more than some of the receiver positions. But when the receivers are consistent threats, that makes the running game that much easier. So I think, you know, to put it simply, we're going to try to be physical. We're not going to try to reinvent the wheel when it comes to scheme. And we're going to try to be really balanced on offense and not let people overplay one part of the, one part of the formation or the other. Coach, when you know what you believe in and can kind of state it like you just did there in a short paragraph, how easy does that make it when you're trying to evaluate across the state and then uh, those valuable out-of-staters hitting on those, knowing exactly what kind of kid you're looking for? Yeah, you know, the out-of-state thing here, really, everybody says, well, you know, finding those eight out-of-staters is difficult. You know, to me, that's the easiest part of what we do is going out and get eight really good out-of-staters. I mean, you have, play, you have you know, states like the state of Georgia, like the state of Alabama and Louisiana. They play a really good brand of high school football, you know, um, and they have, don't have any junior colleges. So those kids are, are usually readily available to come get another opportunity and play at the next level. When it comes to finding those guys, really you're just looking for something that really jumps out on, on film. Um, I just remember recruiting Brian Merritt, you know, our big nose guard this year that won uh, player of the week in the state of Mississippi against Southwest. And you only had to watch him four or five plays on film where you realize, man, there's something different about this guy. And so usually that's what you look for. You know, you look for a no-brainer type situation where you just fall in love with a kid pretty, pretty quickly, and then you find out the other details later. Um, In-state is more difficult. It really is. I mean, when you're looking to sign, you know, two or three running backs, you know, like an Austin Bolton, you know, Austin confided to me, that during the recruiting process, two or three schools offered him a position slot receiver. You know, so it, it really is difficult to kind of see um, where a guy's going to wind up fitting in your program. Um, when they when the kids get here, a lot of them, you know, a lot of skilled guys will start on offense or defense or at running back or receiver, and we wind up, you know, trying to make a move during the summer to put them in the best spot. So our starting corner this year is from Clinton, Mississippi, Terrence Newell. We offered him as a wide receiver. He played wide receiver his entire freshman year. He was a backup, didn't contribute as much as he wanted. Uh, we moved him to defense in the spring, and now he's a starter. And so sometimes it takes a little time to filter filter through some of that stuff. And I think the faster you do it at this level, the better team you're going to have. Absolutely. And on that JUCO level, teams can change in one year. Can't they coach? A roster can uh, flip and really turn, can it not? Sure can. Um, it really can. <clears throat> and I think, you know, the teams um, that maybe didn't win one year, there, there's a, a big-time opportunity to win quicker. But the way you consistently win is by developing those freshmen. And, I, and hopefully that's where our program is now. Uh, you know, we've got some really good 
some really good young players on this team, and let's let's try to develop them and make them better. But you're exactly right. The the rules at the Division One level kind of tie it to your guys that are on campus. Does that make sense? And mm-hmm. a lot of times at this level, a kid, whether or not he has eligibility or not, they'll move on or they'll get a scholarship somewhere else. Well, that just opens the door for somebody else. Um, but at the end of the day, too, there's a lot of good coaches in this league. There's a lot of good recruiters. There's a lot of good evaluators. So when you see a good kid on tape or see a great player mm-hmm. on tape, you got to know that the other coaches staff are seeing the same thing. So um, it's, it stays competitive just like it would at any level. Coach, we know this is precious time on game week. We appreciate you carving out 10 or 12 minutes with us tonight. Uh, continued success there, and thanks again for joining the podcast. Thank you very much for your time. Hey, folks, if you need that special sweet treat for birthdays, anniversaries, or just because, stop by and see our friends at Katie Cake & Company. They are located at 109 West Canal Street in Picayune. Let Katie Cake & Company satisfy your sweet tooth. Shh. Your scale will never have to know. We're fortunate enough tonight to be joined by head coach of the Popperville Hornets, Jay Beach. Jay, thanks for taking time for the podcast, my friend. Thank you, Clay. Thank you, Jeff. Jay, we are just about in the middle of district play here, which is a fun time of the year. It's a fun time to be following y'all. And so, first of all, let's get that out the way. Thank you so much, man, for allowing – uh, our podcast and uh, Jason Baker to follow y'all each and every Friday night. Uh, I don't know that y'all know exactly how much we enjoy doing it. I hope it comes across uh, to y'all when y'all go back and listen to a broadcast or the uh, followers of Popperville football. But thank you, man. We appreciate y'all. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're, we're the lucky one. We're fortunate to have you guys. There are not many 4A programs around the state have a radio crew. That, that covers them on a week-by-week basis, and especially like ours, like you guys, that, that, that do so much research and, and know the kids, know the program, and y'all, y'all do a great job. Well, thank you, Jay. And speaking of research, man, we know in uh, just, the I guess, three and a half, four years that we've covered y'all that this week's kind of special up in Popperville. It's Purvis week, and we go uh, to a 2-0 and Purvis team in district play, and uh, what do we expect to see out of the Tornadoes on Friday night, Jay? Yeah, Purvis is playing great. Um, you got to give their coaching staff and their kids a ton of credit. Uh, really a turnaround from last year. Um, at the beginning of the year, we maybe thought that Purvis might not be 2-0 and at this point in district. But but they're playing really great right now. They're, they're, they're playing inspired football. Uh, they're playing really hard and fast on defense. And they're executing at a really high level on offense. It's really a uh, uh, great job that they've done over there this year. Coach, now I'm going to ask it this way, too, and I'm going to try to get you out of coach speak. But what have you seen out of your your club the last two weeks? A 44-0 to win over Forest County, then you turn around 41-14 to over Stone. Both of those wins uh, coming on the road, that first Forest County win was actually on a Saturday night where we had to go back up there after uh, sitting around, I guess, for about two and a half, three hours uh, waiting through delays before they told us to come back. So when you got your club in the district play, what have you seen out of your Hornet team? Yeah, I I think we we got a good football team. I think we're, you know, athletically maybe as good as we've been in the past. I don't think we're playing as good as we've been in the past. I think uh, 
just a, a crucial mistake here or there, a blown assignment here or there, a turnover at a, at a bad time, just some things that, that you know, that good teams can't do and we're doing, and we're still, and we're still making some of those mistakes. Um, we're making fewer, we're putting, and, and we're getting better. And I, I think we're, um, I think we're starting to block and tackle better. I think we're, uh, I think we're on the verge of being a good team, but then, you know, you turn around and we make a, a bonehead mistake that just surprises you. So, um, that's the things we've been talking about at practice and that, that's what we're, uh, you know, hoping that, that we can fix and we surely haven't played our best football, uh, I don't think. Uh, up to this point yet. Once again, we're joined by head coach Jay Beach, uh, coach of the Poplarville Hornets. And uh, Jay, you know, people's asked me, and I know people's asked Clay after the the non district schedule, uh, what's 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 wrong with Poplarville? What's happened to Poplarville? And technically, we respond that nothing's happened to Poplarville. It was a play up in schedule. Talk about how playing up in that non district schedule. Uh, of course, prepares you for this district, but also kind of get your oil checked too to see what your ball club has to get into this district play to make a run for that state championship. Yeah, we played a really tough non-district schedule. Our, uh, our four losses were to teams that are ranked in the top 20, 25 in, in Mississippi, and then Mandeville thinks ranked 18th in Louisiana. So we played bigger schools, and not only bigger schools, but, but but they're good also. So, and so those mistakes you make against them, they're going to make you pay, uh, no doubt. So, you know, a couple of turnovers here and there, a few extra possessions, you give a good team, that, uh, you don't get beat. And, and then if you make too many mistakes, you will get embarrassed. And we did get embarrassed a few times. Um, but, but our team, I, I was, I'm proud of our team. I was proud that, uh, Never really any of a negative attitude in the locker room. Never, uh, never a sense of non-belief in how good we could be. So on that front, I'm I'm proud of the kids. Uh, we we hadn't uh, never once did we think we weren't going to eventually get it turned around. So and we are starting to get better, and I'm and I'm excited to see how we can finish the season up. Jay, you talk about the the kids and that uh, non-district schedule and kind of the way the season. Uh, played out at the beginning you're used to having so much success really that fan base us included are spoiled to just kind of rolling out the gates and, and start looking ahead almost to south state like who we may play it had kind of gotten to that level over the last three years but not only the kids but your staff the resiliency of coach story coach hickman coach johnson coach deweese coach wells coach russell I hope I'm not missing any of those guys there. Uh, but the way that they were able to kind of uh, keep their chins up, uh, keep a certain spirit, and, and to say that, I never rolled into the field house on any of those and would have known we won or lost the, the week prior. Y'all keep a pretty steady uh, hand there, and uh, it's kind of easy for the kids to be resilient when the leadership, um, starting with you, but certainly down through that staff, stays steady. Yeah, I mean – you got to take things in perspective. We knew we were playing a tough schedule, and we had a, a chance of, of coming out of non-district with some losses, which we hadn't had in the previous years. Uh, now, we, we were disappointed that we didn't come out with a better record, for sure, and didn't put on a better showing in some of those games, but just big-time mistakes. And, uh, 
but we thought everything that was happening to us uh, in a negative way was, was correctable. You know, uh, we think we got potential to be a good team. We always thought that. Now, potential is, is you know, mm-hmm. we may never reach our potential, but uh, we're hoping we do, and we're trying our hardest. The coaches too, and our kids, I believe, are trying hard too. We just uh, got to fix a few things, and, and y'all see it calling the radio for us just, to, you know, uh, against Stone just just a few times. They would just play great, great football, and all of a sudden they could bone their play and. And uh, you're not going to get by. You're not going to make it deep in the playoffs doing that. So um, it's not a lack of effort or a lack of uh, anything like that. It's just uh, lack of execution. And um, and that's what we've been known for over the past few years, the high level of execution. That's what we're focusing on getting back to. Coach, talk about your roster and the contribution you're getting. It's, it's always kind of neat in the high school level to see uh, which classes uh, contribute. And right now you're, you're getting contributions for sophomore class out of Khalid Moore. Uh, Holston has come on. Uh, Tyron Holston has come on uh, like gangbusters the last two weeks. Uh, that junior class, Gregory Swan, kind of stands out with the numbers that he's putting up at the fullback position. And then the senior class, who we really expected to be good, are starting to really show themselves the last couple weeks. But just that blend across the three classes there, and not to mention, I should say, a freshman class and Hudson and some of these guys even starting to contribute as freshmen. It's kind of neat to see uh, the four classes all pitching in. Yeah, we got a big, uh, a big senior class, about 2021 20, kids, uh, a lot of experience there. You know, we lost some kids for a few games. Chase missed a few because I missed a few. Chase missed a few. And, and uh, some players that played huge roles for us offensively and defensively. Uh, fortunately, the injuries weren't uh, weren't too bad. And, and just they all looking pretty good right now. Uh, our And our senior class is, is, is picking it up. And our junior class is just really small. I think we had 10 or 11. But all those guys are contributing. Most of them are starting. So when you have a small junior class, uh, you know, you have to need some of those sophomores to step up, and they have. we got a talented sophomore class of about 25 kids, and and you, you see the Holston and Khalid and, and a few others are having, having to step up and, and play a big role for us. Coach, this district record, you've won four straight districts in a row. Certainly Purvis, y'all will be a target for them, and then Greene County will come uh, the following week to the Hornets Nest. You get everybody's best shot week in and week out, don't you? Yeah, yeah, we do. I would imagine we would. Uh, and I would imagine if people in their off-season, summers and everything in the district have probably got uh, got us on their minds just because of our, our previous success. So, yeah, we, we, people are ready. We're not surprising anybody. We're not tricking anybody. Uh, everybody in our district is well prepared for us and uh, you know nothing's easy and 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 we and every every Friday night in our district it's going to be a tough game coach we know the kind of effort that you expect uh, from your youngins when uh, when they look out there Purvis probably about six o'clock and uh, that first group's already out there and that second group hits them for warm-ups and uh, they peel around and look to the visitor side, and the green and gold's already there in numbers. How special is that? It is special. It, it is very special. It makes uh, – there's no way that, that you can tell me that our kids don't play 
a little harder than if there was nobody there. Mm-hmm. And especially in Forest County, uh, that kind of proved itself that Forest County would already been there one day, waited around, got canceled, and then show up Saturday night again. And this is the one in four team that come to support and uh, on the road on a Saturday night, and it was full. Yes, it and, was. And so we appreciate that very much. And uh, the, the, the fan, the clown, they expect uh, us to play well. And uh, if they're going to show it and pay the money, we better play well. So, And that's what we're going to try to do for them. Yep, a special thing that has uh, kind of taken off under Coach Beach's leadership there in Popperville. A fun program for us to follow. We're privileged to be able to do it. Coach, thank you for your time tonight, man. We look a- look forward to a Friday afternoon. Okay, thank you. See you all Friday. If you're looking to insure a new house, car, or motorcycle, give Advantage Insurance Company a call at 601-749-8790 or go by and see Shauna Oder or any one of her friendly agents and let them go to work for you. Advantage Insurance is located at 4201 Highway 11 North in Picayune. We've got Lorenzo Breland, defensive line coach for the Picayune Maroon Tide, joining a podcast and Zoe, thanks for taking time, man, out for the podcast this evening. Uh, thanks for having me, Clay. Appreciate it. Glad to be on the Talking Ball Y'all podcast. I like it. Zoe, let's get into, man, the way that uh, that defensive line, as I described, we'll go a couple different places, but let's camp out right where you are, man, on that defensive line. And what an impressive group. I'm going to ask you to do something, Zoe. I'm going to ask you, if you would, man, to kind of talk about each kid and their strength and what they bring to this dominant defensive line. Okay. Uh, well, we play – I try to play a multiple of guys, but I guess the mainstays on our defensive line, uh, I would start my defensive end, uh, number 54, Elijah Jenkins. That's a good uh, place to start, Coach. <laughs> yes, sir. Hey, yes, he's brutal. Sir. I I saw him with my own eyes a few weeks ago with Popperville, and I think we're starting in a pretty good spot. He's a heck of a ball player, man. Yes, sir. No doubt about it. And uh, I mean, he just brings he brings the tenacity, he brings the attitude, the atmosphere. I mean, he pretty much you know you, you, you hear a lot of people, especially on the college level and the NFL level, talk about an emotional leader. But truly, Elijah Jenkins is our emotional leader. I mean, because he brings the energy not only in the weight room but on the field. I mean, he sets his tone. He challenges his guys. I mean, he does a great job, you know, uh, moving around. I can play him at defensive end and defensive tackle. So, you know, he does a, does a great job for us. All right, so tell me about the Reed and the Mickle kid. Uh, if you would talk to me about those two youngins as well. Okay, and then also on my, on my deep tackle, I got uh, Deontay Reed. Like you said, you know, he plays both ways. And when I tell you Big Dog steps up to every challenge that we give him, I mean, uh, just looking back to that East Central game, I mean, I think he played every snap except kickoffs, kick return, and maybe uh, punt return. Mm. But other than that, I mean, he played every snap in the trenches, you know, uh, and we challenge him every week, and he steps up in a, in a major way on both sides of the ball, controlling that line of scrimmage. But, I mean, he just – he brings an attitude as a run stopper, you know, that, uh, that'll put you in the mind of, a, you know, of an Aaron Donald or mm. a Dominic Sue, you know what I mean? I mean, he's a major, a major, major player uh, along that D-line. 
And then also my other D tackle, my junior, uh, Lawrence Hopkins. He's, he's another one. Uh, I like to call him the little silent assassin. I mean, mm. because the thing about Lawrence, he comes to work every day. He's matured so much as a player over this past year that I'm so proud of. And, I mean, he just, you know, he makes those plays and he doesn't get, I guess, quote, unquote, a lot of the, you know, the notoriety or, you know, the attention yet. But, you know, like I said, he does a great job, you know, day in, day out, coming in, showing up to work, getting better. Uh, then my other end, uh, Carson Connor. Mm. He's another, I mean, it's his, it's his first year coming back out. You know, he's been a baseball kid. You know, but just looking at him, and I mean, physically, you know, he's 6'5", he's tall, he's rangy, you know, he can move good. I mean, he's another kid. He's came out and had a breakout year, you know, from where he started at is in, in the spring to where he is now. Um, like you say, Jay Mitchell, he's also in that rotation. He plays both ways. He does another good job because I challenge him mentally every week, and depending on kind of how the flow of the game goes, he may or may not see a lot of defensive reps. But mentally, he's always prepared. And when he gets in there, he does a heck of a job going in there. And I told him he's going to be the secret weapon down the stretch because a lot of teams hadn't seen him on film. But uh, like I said, he does a great job week in week out as well. Yeah, and these kids, though, I mean, they're getting up the field making – they're not just kind of letting their guy stay in front of them and maybe a three- or four-yard game by the carrier. They're going to get the guy – and a backfield, a bunch of – I mean, from what I've seen uh, studying y'all prior to uh, Popperville week, there you have a bunch of tackle for losses this group does. Correct. And, that's, I mean, that's one of the things I challenge them, you know, every day. And I preach, hey, we want to play on their grass. Let's get <laughs> down. Let's get to that. Make sure we align. You know, the first thing is alignment. Make sure you align right. And then when that ball moves, we're getting on their grass as fast and as quick as we can as violently as we can, as dominating as we can, you know, we're trying to play on your grass and take everything that we can get. Well, you say on their grass, some of these Twitter highlights I've seen, it's some more, it's something that rhymes with that that they getting on, too. It's unreal, man. Mercy. Mm, the Jenkins kid and the Connor kid, I – I got messing around with Twitter a couple weeks before that popper. I said, good <laughs> night, man. They are coming crazy at these guys. But, Zoe, talk about your relationship with uh, Coach Trahan, too, and how a defensive line coach like yourself works hand-in-hand -hand, uh, with Coach Trahan. And y'all both having a great college playing careers. Y'all both bring really good credentials uh, to this staff and the way that y'all work together. Well, you, you know, me and, me and Coach, we actually go back to, to our Jackson days. I, I can remember when I was at uh, Jackson Murr and he was at Madison Central, we had some great battles back in the day when I had Malik Deer. And mm. I know he had a hard time trying to stop us because <laughs> Malik Deer was Mr. Everything at that point. I mean, you know, he had got Offensive Player of the Year as a sophomore. So just going back to some of those battles that we had and now being able to coach together and put, you know, our minds together and try to come up with the best possible game plan and the best way to, to put the kids in great situations, you know, to make big plays, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, we kind of go back and forth, bouncing ideas off each other, you know, as well as the rest of the staff, but just being able to, to see it how he sees it. And like you say, from that college perspective, you know, we both play college ball. So when it comes to terminology or, or sets that they're trying to run or breaking down film or actually understanding it, I mean, I would say we probably got, you know, two great masterminds on the, on the defensive side of the ball. 
not to tell me, you know, don't get me wrong, this masterminds on the offensive side. Let me clear that up. But, you know, just speaking <laughs> yep. defensively how we, try to, how we try to stop people and, you know, how we try to attack people and the preparation. A lot of it, too, is more so the preparation that we put in, you know, during the week, studying the field, putting in the preparation and getting the kids, seeing it. Uh, you know, Coach does a great job of that, you know, and, and, you know, I'm just happy to work with him. And like I said, we work hand in hand because defensive line, that's your first line of defense. You know, so if we can do our thing and stop them before they get, you know, to the second level, you know, then that's what we're going to try to do week, week in and week out. Once again, we're joined by Lorenzo Breland, defensive line coach for the undefeated Picking Maroon Tide, 7-0 and overall, 3-0 and in the district. And, Coach, when you talked about the preparation there, you, you were talking about getting the kids ready and you were looking at film and getting ready. How difficult or is it difficult to keep the kids' minds focused on the game at hand and not really looking ahead or looking past an individual. Once you said undefeated, you know every you you're, you're the big dog on top. But with this defensive uh, this defensive uh, line and this defensive play for Picune, uh, is it difficult or or not to try to keep the kids focused on the game at hand and not look uh, toward postseason play, so to speak? Well, it, it kind of is, but, you know, one thing that Coach Lee always says, he says, let's just win one game a week, you know. So our, our main focus is who our opponent is this week, how can we get better each day to prepare to beat that opponent on Friday. So, you know, like you said, it is, you know, it's kind of difficult sometimes, but for the most part, you know, uh, you know, we kind of got a little tone or a little thing that we go by. It's called lock-in, you know. So from the time you hit that field house to the time you hit that grass until you hit that parking lot, you need to be locked in. So, you know, the kids do a great job of it. They bought in, you know, to it. They understand how important it is. And, you know, we just come to work, ready to work uh, each week. So, is, when you're coaching for a, a, a place that you play and, and you say we're undefeated or we're this and that, I mean, does it mean a little bit more when you uh, when you were a player for that program and – and, and played under uh, Coach Lee, does is, is it feel a little bit different coaching back here in Picayune? Uh, it, it, believe it or not, it actually does. I mean, because, you know, it's one of those things I still get chills, you know, on Friday night. You know what I mean? I still get a little turn in my stomach. And not necessarily that it's, you know, nervous. It's more so uh, anxiousness, mm. you know, because Picayune has a brand of football that everybody knows, and it's going to be hard-nosed, it's going to be smash-mouthed, and you got to be ready to stop it. You know, and no matter what you do, how you try to line up, we're going to try to find the best adjustment, the best play, the best wrinkle, you know, to put us in the best situation. And, uh, you know, believe it or not, it actually takes me back to the 2001 season, my junior year, uh, because, you know, we were pretty much on the trail just like this. We went 11-1 and and lost to South State to the Appleville. We went on to win the championship that year. You know, but like you say, it's one of those things is you just got to stay focused. You know, week in, week out, can't take anybody lightly, you know, because any Friday night you can get beat. You know, you got to take it one play at a time and just continue to get better. Find some type of way to get better. That's what we challenge our kids every day, find a way to get better. And y'all are doing a fine job at that, Zoe. I appreciate you taking time for us, bud. It's always uh, good to catch up. 
with you, man. It was always at, at that time I was roaming the sideline doing some sideline uh, reporting for uh, Picayune football, and you were always one of my favorites, man. I could get a good uh, fist pound from you. And uh, when you were over there, you didn't spend a whole lot of time over there by me. Uh, but when you were, you kind of <laughs> give me uh, the insights on what uh, the sights and the sounds were out there. So you've always got a special right. place with me, so I appreciate you, man. I appreciate it, man. That time has flew by. It doesn't seem it seems like just yesterday, but you know it's flying on by. Absolutely. So, man, we appreciate you, man, and uh, thank you for visiting us with tonight. Continued uh, success there with the Picayune Maroon Tide. Yes, sir. Thank you all for having me.